now joining us on the hotline, Lanny Mixon, sports director at WMXI 98.1 FM in the Laurel Hattiesburg area. He's also the publisher of Big Gold Nation, part of the Rivals Network, uh, and for Southern Miss. And Lanny, welcome to the show this morning. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate being on with you. Yeah, no problem. Great to have you. And, and I was talking earlier in the show when we were talking about the uh, kind of missteps right now for Louisiana Tech baseball, that you, uh, Southern Miss right now is one of the hottest teams, not just in Conference USA, but in the country at, uh, what are they, uh, 20, is 23-5 and five after yesterday's win? Is that correct? Yeah, 20, moved 23-5 and five on the year, playing some really nice baseball right now. Um Getting you know, getting good solid starting pitching, nice relief work, uh, timely hitting, and and some pop in the lineup. So, you know, if you're Scott Berry and crew, you probably you know, you probably couldn't ask to be in much a much better spot than you are right now. Yeah, and as they roll on, they're six and one now in uh, in conference play. I think uh, Florida Atlantic also won yesterday, so they have the the same record. So they're tied atop conference usa right now but you mentioned the pop uh when we had the first series with uh southern miss here in ruston a couple of weeks ago because that was the thing that that struck me was how they swung the bat of course i did the conference tournament uh here on espn 97.7 last year for tech and and got to see of course southern miss play some games and and the the offensive uh, firepower that they have this year versus last year is a pretty dramatic difference, like you said, with the pitching that they're getting and how they can score runs. Uh, that's a pretty good formula for them. You know, it really is. I, I was looking at their stat sheet uh, last night, and every every Southern Miss hitter that has more than seven at-bats has hit a home run this year. So they, they're really swinging the bat well. Um, you know, it, it's kind of unusual. Scott Berry and, and his staff kind of changed their philosophy a couple of years ago when it came to recruiting, and they really started recruiting some bigger, more physical athletes. Um, and, and I think that's where you're seeing this power surge come from. I mean, you're, when your leadoff hitter is six foot, you know, 225, um, you know, they've got some really big physically, you know, talented kids on that team and and those you know those power numbers showing i mean if you physically just looked at this team they look like one of the lsu teams back in the uh early 90s yeah you know lanny i wanted to ask you just kind of an opinion question about that <laughs> having been a former high school coach myself i found it interesting and i loved asking coaches during the transition period when they when we had the bat change and I talked to a lot of the coaches that I interviewed, high school as well as college. Uh, of course, college is you know, on the recruiting part of it. And I asked some of the coaches, you know, how is this going to change how you recruit players? And I think at first it kind of made some coaches in college shy away a little bit from the guy you're talking about, the 6'3", 225-pound guy, because now – at the time, during the transition period, the the bats made a little bit of a difference. There was a big adjustment from the old metal bats to the bats that they're using now. Uh, home runs, you know, that was on the national stage as far as uh, as far as publicity was concerned about how few home runs were being hit in college baseball. And I think now that you've got a generation of kids 
coming into college baseball that have used nothing but the newer bats through yep. their junior high, high school time that now they're so used to it that now it's the norm and the coaches can now are kind of going back to these bigger guys because now everybody's used to it. Yeah, and you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure two things have happened. Two things two comments from on my side on that. Number one, I think a lot of the, the drop in power was mental. I, I think coaches started approaching the game different way because they, they said we're not gonna be able to do this. Right. So exactly. they started doing things differently. I think also for that generation of players, you know, when they went to the to the BB Core, the uh, the BB Core point five zero, you know, I think they, you know, they sub either consciously or subconsciously, you know, changed the way they approach things as well. <clears throat> now, also, uh, you got to remember, just a couple of years back, college baseball changed the baseball. Right. They went from a high seam to a lower seam ball, more like what they use in the minor leagues. Now, what this did, you know, your curveballs don't, you know, don't bite quite as hard. You get more hittable baseballs. So I think that has also contributed into the, you know, into the home run numbers getting back up a little bit. But I, I think they finally kind of found a happy medium with the BB core bats, with the new balls, to where um, they they got it figured out. Baseball is about where it needs to be with the equipment. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the other things that Nick had told me about was that you have an interesting story with one of the uh, Southern Miss players and Matt Walner. Of course, I saw him hit. Uh, he's an he's also an impressive-looking young man, especially as young as he still is. But tell us a little bit about the, about the story of Matt Walner and his journey to Hattiesburg. Well, I'll tell you, you know, Matt Walner, he, he is the most physically impressive, most physically dominating uh, freshman I've ever covered anywhere. He, he, he's six foot six plus. He's 235 pounds. He runs like a gazelle. He's a starting center fielder. If you can imagine a center fielder that big, he, he steals bases. Yeah, six six plus, playing center field. And he's not a lanky six six, he's 235 pounds. Um, you know, he spills bases, he hits for power, he hits for average, and uh, he will come in and close for Southern Miss with a fastball topping out at 97. And it really is amazing that um, that he ever ended up at Southern Miss. Now, uh, he was kind of a late developer. You know, you got to remember, he's from, he's from northern Minnesota, and high school baseball is not – it's not the same game in the upper Midwest that it is here in the, you know, in, in the deep South where we're all used to. You know, not right. every, you know, not every, you know, their their full high school season up there is about 15 games. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, they don't start playing baseball until mid-April. Um, and they've got a very, very short window to play. And not only does that compress, you know, their their spring baseball, but also compresses summer baseball as well. And what you have is you, you don't have the, the, the travel baseball up north like you do here. So, you know, Walter's a guy that, that really had not played a tremendous amount of baseball. Um, you know, he, he signed with, with small University of North Dakota uh, as a junior. And, um, you know, they signed him when he was very much a project. He was about six foot three, 180 pounds, um, topping out with his fastball about 85 miles an hour. 
but they saw some potential in him, and they signed him, and he continued to grow and grow and grow and get better. Uh, and then on April 1st, uh, I guess a year ago today, um, University of North Dakota announced they were shuttering their baseball program along with three other sports. So that left not only Walner, but the entire roster at North Dakota looking for somewhere to continue playing baseball. Uh, it just so happened there was a, um, you know, a longstanding friendship between one of the assistants at Southern Miss, Chad Kaye, and um, the head coach at North Dakota, uh, Jeff Dobson. And they got in contact and, you know, to make a really long, complex story pretty short because of those relationships, Southern Miss was able to get up to uh, Minnesota, watch him play, was able to get him into Hattiesburg before a lot of schools really realized he was available. And, um, you know, by the time Southern Miss had him in Hattiesburg, you know, with an offer on the table, Minnesota, the entire, basically the entire Big Ten, Coastal Carolina, Louisville, a lot of other schools were trying to make a move and, and getting to visit, but at that point he had, he had made up his mind to come to Southern Miss, and I'll tell you, um, you just kind of get the feeling when you go out there on any given day that, that you could see him do something really extraordinary. That story with Walner is about the epitome of uh, finding a diamond in the rough. You know, it really is, and, um, you know, it's kind of strange. You know, we take it for granted that just because, you know, there's so much baseball being played down south that, um, you know, that that's where all of the best prospects are. But this is a prime example of, you know, Matt Walner really was one of those guys that literally everybody overlooked to begin with. Yeah, when, uh, you made a good point about the fact that especially in the upper Midwest, uh, they don't have a very long season at all uh, simply because of the weather. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I know uh, a lot of their high school seasons even continue like college does uh, into June. I know I, my, my dad was in the military, and I started my junior high time and my first year of high school uh, in Maryland right outside Washington, D.C., and, and I pitched games in the snow uh, a couple of times, snow flurries a couple of times, but even in that area, 20, 20 to maybe 25 games was about the max uh, that you were playing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you get up into, into Minnesota and the Dakotas, um, you, know, where you're, you know, where you're closer to Canada than you are, um, you know, than you even are St. Louis, that, um, you know, they, they play, a, play a very compact season. And how has he adjusted – Coming from that area, of course, that's about as, you know, northern Minnesota around the International Falls area is about as far removed as, as uh, south uh, Mississippi as, as you can get. How has he adjusted to the cultural change, if nothing else? You know, I, I'm not sure it's as big as, as you would have thought. You know, if he was from downtown Minneapolis, I, I think it would have been a much bigger culture shock. But, um, you know, I, I think he grew up in in you know somewhat of a you know rural suburban area probably not too terribly different from from Hattiesburg but um uh, I'll tell you he he seems to have uh he seems to have taken to taken to living in Hattiesburg about as well as he's taken to uh playing baseball now Lanny one of the things we talked earlier in the show before you came on about uh, some of the real surprises in conference USA so far not surprised that Southern Miss and, and Florida Atlantic are leading the league right now but after yesterday, uh, I know um, 
I think uh, it was uh, Middle Tennessee, I think, got rained out yesterday and will play a doubleheader today. But uh, as a general rule, with Tech losing last night and also uh, Rice losing again, one and six for those two teams, and, and basically with Middle Tennessee, the same thing, only wanting, has, having only won one game. Uh, would you have ever imagined that those three teams would be sitting at one and six? No, I, I wouldn't have imagined that any of them would be sitting at one and six right now, much less all of them, because, you know, that's, you know, Rice is, you know, ha- has more history than anybody in Conference USA as far as baseball goes. Uh, Louisiana Tech has traditionally been a very competitive program, and I think they still have some time to right the ship. And uh, Middle Tennessee is another program that has had a, you know, that's had a margin of success over the years, you know, playing in both the Sun Belt and in Conference USA. So, so those three teams are very surprising. Now, one one team that I think is playing pretty well that I think could factor in a lot more than people thought going into the season is Charlotte. I think they're playing some really nice baseball right now in Conference USA. Yeah, Old Dominion also. Uh, in fact, those two teams are playing each other this weekend. Uh, they got rained out yesterday, and we'll mm-hmm. play a doubleheader today. But uh, kind of handicapped the rest of the conference for us moving forward. I know Louisiana Tech has played two of the tougher schools already, even though they lost yesterday to UTSA. Uh, they've already played Charlotte and Southern Miss. Uh, handicap the rest of the season, how you think things might evolve in Conference USA? You know, um, I, I, I kind of really look for this one to, to – I, I think that the three top teams, the, the three teams that are on top right now, I, I think that's probably your three better teams this year. I think um, right now um, right now, I would put Charlotte as your, as your number four team in the league. Uh, a lot of parity from there on down. You know, Rice has still got a couple of arms that can get out there and beat anybody on a given night. What Rice can't score runs, and, and that's not something that you know. That's not something that, that you just all of a sudden start doing in the middle of the season. You know, Louisiana Tech. I, I think some. I think they've got some good baseball ahead of them. Uh, I really like Lane Burroughs. I've known him for a long, long time. Um, you know, I know he's got to be beating his head against the wall right now with, um, you know, with what's been going on the last three weeks with Tech. But, but something just tells me that they've got the potential to, to turn it around because they have played some really good baseball. Um, you know, they've played some really good baseball at different points in the season, and they've, showed, they've shown that they can. So I, I'm a little more optimistic about Louisiana Tech pulling out of their little slide than I am about Rice because I just I don't think Rice can beat very I don't think Rice can win very many Conference USA uh, series this year because they really only have two good arms right now they've got a Friday night guy and they've got a guy coming out of the pen that's really good and they are suspect across the board after that. Yeah, you know that would be uh, probably one of the the shockers of all shockers for Rice to do what they did last year and then end up say not if it shakes out that way and not make the not make the tournament at all at the end of the season. Yep, and and Rice Rice lived on some big arms last year and, and they were not able to replace those arms with with new guys coming in and they had some guys that they thought were going to develop on the hill that just haven't shown it yet. Um Unless they have some guys who who really kind of you know the light comes on for them really really quickly, I don't see Rice being able to win many Conference USA series because they did not have 
a a a front loaded schedule. They had a you know they had a a marginal schedule out of the first three weeks. They they should have won two out of those series, and and they haven't won any. Yeah, I was surprised when they got swept at the beginning of the season uh, in their first series as well. Now I want to get into something else real quick because I know you guys are real close to it down there, and I'm sure you I'm kind of putting you on the spot. I'm just assuming that you've probably been there with everything that you do uh, with Big Gold Nation and the other things that are involved. Really enjoyed, as I said earlier, I did the Conference USA tournament last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Loved being there in Hattiesburg. Uh, You guys did a fantastic job of putting on the conference tournament, very hospitable, very friendly, uh, and accommodating uh, in the almost week that we were there last year. But, of course, the conference tournament now going to a neutral site, which I know – a lot of the Conference USA coaches really want it because they feel mm-hmm. like with the RPI was so good for the conference last year. You know, in all honesty, Conference USA is a nationally recognized baseball conference. And no so, yeah, and so now moving to uh, a neutral site for the tournament down in Biloxi this year at uh, a new beautiful ballpark down there, uh, how is that going to go? You know, I think for the fans, it's going to be a great situation. Uh, we, you know, at uh, WMXI, we carry the Biloxi Shuckers minor league team. We're one of their affiliates. And uh, Southern Miss uh, plays a couple, at least two games down there every season. So uh, I'm pretty familiar with their facilities there. They, the ballpark itself is an, is an outstanding double-A ballpark. Great concessions, great uh, line of sight, not a bad seat in the house. You can rent... You know, you can rent suites for the weekend. Uh, you'll be able to get a suite for the Conference USA Tournament, all that great stuff. For the fans, it's going to be an unbelievable experience. I think it's going to be a great experience for the players. Now, for me and you and the media having to cover it, it's going to be a little more difficult because they don't have the big, luxurious press boxes that you'll see at Southern Miss or you'll see at Rice or you'll see at some of these college venues because minor league teams, they just don't have a ton of press covering them. So the uh, the facilities for the press to work out of is going to be limited, but hey, that's only going to affect me and you and all your listeners. It right. won't bother them a bit. So they'll have a great time. Well, like I said, we had a great, really great time at uh, Hattiesburg last year, and couldn't have couldn't have given the the crew at Southern Miss any higher grades for how they ran the tournament. Again, the hospitality was just uh, fantastic. So. Uh, one other thing, real quick, uh, you're, you got the pulse of, of Southern Miss baseball, of course, and and one of the things that's always intrigued me uh, that's about baseball in college that's so different than some of the other sports, uh, simply because of the dynamic, and then because the squad is smaller, for example, than football is, is we see this change. We were talking about Rice being so good mm-hmm. last year, maybe not even making the tournament this year if they don't uh, kind of pick things up a little bit. You know, it's really difficult, in all honesty, for a lot of these uh, coaches in college baseball because sometimes they'll know a guy that's going to get drafted and leave their team. But, you know, Mm -hmm. every year they don't always know. You know, they're trying to project who to recruit to fill spots here and there, but some teams can get ravaged in really key areas on what was going to be potential starters that maybe have a really, really good year and kind of bust out and end up getting drafted where the coaching staff wasn't expecting them to get drafted. 
that makes it difficult, right. doesn't it? It does. It does. Now, now, farmers like Southern Miss and Louisiana Tech, uh, they have, they're a little bit more sheltered by that because of their location. Because you know, oftentimes, where, where you really get hurt most time is when they take a picture that you're not expecting. You right. can you can all you you can often plug in a position player, but it, you know, down here in the South, we got a little bit of luxury of having such a good junior college system. Here in Mississippi, the junior college system's really strong. Louisiana had a couple of really strong JUCO programs. Uh, the Texas JUCOs are very, very strong. The Florida JUCO programs are unbelievable. So, you know, you really have to be willing to take those JUCO guys to, to guard against that. And, and that might be one of the things that hurts Rice is, is they, because of their academic requirements being a private institution, they really don't take JUCO guys. Yeah, and that does make a difference. I know there's some of the other uh, schools that are not public schools have that difficulty of being able to meet academic requirements that the school doesn't budge on, and it does make it a lot more difficult. I know to your point, Lanny, uh, Louisiana Tech would look a lot different, even though it's just one player. If uh, Philip Deal, the left-handed starter that was so effective for Tech last year, you know, he was only a junior. If he was coming back, uh, and was back on the staff this year since he got drafted, uh, that would make mm-hmm. a huge, huge difference for Louisiana Tech. And, you know, and, and it goes it goes the other way. You know, Charlotte got one of their arms back, um, one of their starters back from last year that got drafted, but he opted to stay in school. So they, you know, they, they, they thought they were losing a guy that ended up staying. So you're right, you, you know, it's it's a roll of the dice for these guys every year. Well, Lanny, I really appreciate it, not uh, just uh, for hanging on and calling back when we got dropped, but good stuff, and we appreciate it very much, and uh, hopefully uh, look forward to seeing you near the end of the season when uh, we come down for the Conference USA Baseball Tournament. Outstanding, guys. Look forward to seeing you all as well. All right. Thanks, Lanny. Take care. Lanny Mixon, sports director at WXMI 98.1 FM in the Laurel Hattiesburg area. Of course, he's the publisher of Big Gold Nation, part of the Rivals Network, and appreciate him being on with us here this morning. Well, it's time again for Lynn Scarborough. Lynn takes you to 10 every Saturday morning on the Nick Brown Show. And, Lynn, I guess when you woke up this morning, you see that Mississippi State defeated UConn. That is not an April Fool's Day joke. Yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, you know, it was almost late enough that it was uh, after after midnight when all the festivities got going, and it sure seemed like an April Fool. Uh, you know, watching that game last night, one of the most exciting basketball games you'll ever see. Um you know, you just kept waiting for Connecticut to take control of that ball game. But when you consider that last year these two teams played, and at the half it was uh, Connecticut ahead 61 to 12, and uh, Connecticut barely scored 61 in the entire ball game last night. And um, you know, I, you just got to give such credit to the coaching staff, to Coach Schaefer, to the to the uh, entire team, to Mississippi State for what they pulled off here. Uh, I I really believe it might be the biggest upset in the history of college basketball. Now, there might be a Division II team in some obscure place in uh, South Dakota uh, where some team that hadn't won a game beat a team that was 50-0 and or something. But among games you keep up with and know about, uh, the magnitude of this upset on the, on the stage where it was uh, might be the biggest upset that's ever been in, in college basketball. I've been covering a long time. Uh, I remember when, uh, when Notre Dame beat UCLA's streak. I remember when Stanford knocked off uh, Connecticut's earlier streak. 
But uh, but these weren't teams that had gotten beat, you know, sixty-one to twelve at the half, and it wasn't playing for national championships. And uh, I just, I don't, you know, somebody said to me this morning, uh, maybe Chaminade beating Virginia back in the eighties when Virginia was number one in the country, and uh, they had Ralph Sampson and and little Chaminade like a Division two school or something. Maybe maybe that is a bigger upset in magnitude comparing where those those programs are. But when you consider the 111-game win streak and the fact that it was to go to the final game to play for the national championship, I think Mississippi State may, may pulled off the biggest, uh, most significant upset uh, that's ever been played uh, in college basketball, men, men or women at, at any level. You know, I'm going to agree with you. I watched that game last year that the Huskies end up winning by 60 points uh, in the NCAA tournament. And I tell you, you look at what Mississippi State's able to do. But I'm going to give credit to one of the players, a player that hit the game-winning shot, Lynn, uh, about 10 minutes from, uh, from your backyard there, and that was uh, Morgan William from Shades Valley. Absolutely. They call her Itty Bitty. Uh, she's like 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, something like that. And it's, a, it's an example, you know, people up here in Alabama, uh, you know, talk about these kind of things. Uh, they get there's one that gets away. You got uh, Alabama women's basketball and uh, UAB women's basketball and Auburn women's basketball that all are playing at uh, upper upper level competition. And uh, and high in the world, do you let the girl that that if Mississippi State were to beat South Carolina, probably be the most valuable player in the uh, in for the uh, national championship tournament? Uh, high in the world, do you let her get away from Shades Valley High School, which, like you say, is about 15 miles from my house? But boy, what a cool player! She was fantastic in the game before that, and then last night, uh, ice in her veins. Uh, she has a shot to go in and win it in regulation. Uh, you know, was she fouled? Was it blocked shot? I don't know, but nothing was called. And then uh, she comes back and just again ice in her veins. Uh, she puts in position. She gets separation enough to get the shot off, and it strips the net. And the thing is, she just looks so smooth and confident doing it, Nick. Well, absolutely. I want to go back. Talking to Lynn Scarborough, Lynn takes you to 10 every Saturday morning on the Nick Brown Show. Lynn, I was a little perplexed because UConn had a turnover. Mississippi State went down, uh, missed a three. Vic Schaefer, head coach's daughter, missed a three. And then UConn gets the rebound. They're bringing back the ball back down the floor. Then all of a sudden, all the action is stopped, and they go back to the monitors about a play that happened about, about 18 to 20 seconds ago. Yeah, I, I tell you, Nick, I, I, I'm glad the game turned out the way it did. It would have been a travesty if Mississippi State had lost the game on that. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, criticize officials to that, but they deserve it here. That I, I think it might be the worst call I've ever seen in a basketball game. The uh, the call was that it was a, a flagrant technical, uh, a foul with nobody going after the ball. Well, in the first place, that's ridiculous because when the time the ball went up. They were both going to be going with the ball. The ball got deflected. And so you look at them on the replay. Their eyes were up. They were looking where the ball was going to be coming. If that ball had not been deflected, the ball would have been coming right to them. One of the two of them would have had the ball. Um, so that there wasn't any, any – certainly wasn't an intentional foul. Uh, and they were both going up after the ball. Uh, but they ruled that they were not going after the ball, uh, which made it – put it in another category. And then you don't retroactively go back and, you know, after – if they're going to call the foul, call the foul. Mississippi State gets the turnover. They go down. They take a shot from the corner. They miss it. Connecticut gets it, brings it back up the court. You're running 10, 15 seconds off the clock. And then all of a sudden you stop and go back. Well, the, the game's a two-point ball game, so you give Connecticut two shots. You give them the ball, and you don't put that time back on the clock, which means Connecticut can run the clock out so that State will never get the ball back. So 
if you're, if you're going to go back and retroactively do that, which I've literally never seen in the 40-plus years that I've been a member of the U.S. Basketball Writers Association, used to be the editor of a basketball newspaper, I've never seen or heard anything like that, and to go back and stop retroactively when you didn't even call a foul in the first place, and then to basically make a decision that easily could have determined the national championship on something like that uh, is is inexcusable, uh, almost as embarrassing as the TV announcers justifying it and saying it was a good call. And, uh, you know, sometimes justice gets served. And justice was served that Mississippi State made the shot and won that ball game. Well, absolutely. I want to move to uh, one last talking about that game, and that is the quarterbacks that were in attendance. Pretty neat that uh, Dak Prescott, Mississippi State uh, former quarterback for the Bulldogs, was in attendance. So was Donovan McNabb, whose niece plays for Connecticut. And then Russell Wilson was supporting his sister Anna, who's a freshman at Stanford in the first game. So a lot of NFL quarterbacks uh, in attendance at the uh, ball game. But then I'm going to move to South Carolina men. Man, what a great year to be a Gamecock and South Carolina's men under the direction of Frank Martin. You know, Lynn, from that weak basketball league that I told you only deserved three teams to get to the NCAA tournament? Yeah, they got one in the Final Four. Well, and South Carolina has got a legit shot. Now that Connecticut is out of this thing, they got a legit shot at, at being the champion in men's and women's basketball, which has seldom been done, most recently done, ironically, by Connecticut when their men's and women's won the, uh, the college national championship just a few years ago. Uh, South Carolina's in a legit position to do that. And what has turned out here, Nick, the big winners in postseason college basketball this year has been the Southeastern Conference and the Southeastern Conference teams. They've been vindicated. Uh, All of the criticism that went so heavily for Southeastern Conference basketball uh, is obviously just not justified. And uh, you you got two teams playing for the championship on the women's side, and you got a team – still playing on the men's, and you had three out of the last eight teams that were that were uh, men's. It's going to be a tough row, I think, later today for South Carolina. Uh, you know, Gonzaga's a tough match. They're a, they're a big team. They've got a lot of hype. Um, a lot of people are assuming it's going to be a Gonzaga-North Carolina matchup, um, and, and I kind of lean toward thinking that'll happen, but Oregon is extremely athletic, and I don't think it's a guarantee that, that Carolina's going to get there, and i got to give us a pat on the back. Uh, way last August, when we produced our college basketball magazine, two months before the first game was even played, uh, our national college edition picks Oregon to win the national championship. They lose a couple of games early, and the people are criticizing us and saying, man, how in the world could you do that? Well, we look pretty good now. Uh, Oregon has got a shot at, uh, at hoisting Lindy's banner with them and winning the, winning the national title. All right, wait a minute. Now, I've got to interrupt you right there, then, because everyone knows how big of an SEC homer you are. Now, also, uh, but you work for Lindy's Magazine. So is there a uh, split there? I mean, I know you tell me, well, I don't care who wins the game, but would you rather see South Carolina, the Cinderella story, win it, or Oregon to make uh, Lindy's? Because I, I can talk about the football predictions that you make every year as well. But which, which one would you rather have? Well, let's, let's complicate it even more. We've got a contract if North Carolina wins it to do a, a North Carolina special edition that will go to press on Monday night after the game if North Carolina wins it. So the only the only uh, uh, player in the in the last four where Lindy's doesn't have a dog in the hunt is uh, is Gonzaga, which means probably Gonzaga will win the championship. But uh, but yeah, we've got a we've got a reason to be pulling for South Carolina, Oregon, or uh, or North Carolina. So uh, that's you're right. That's kind of a tough uh, 
Well, well Miss Cindy needs a new pair of shoes, but I think you're going for North Carolina. <laughs> North Carolina. Well, you know, it, the, the, obviously the Cinderella deal is going to be for uh, for somebody else to win it other than Carolina. They're the old hat guy. Uh, Oregon hadn't been in the tournament since the very first one in, like, 1939. South Carolina's never been there. And uh, and then the Zags, of course, uh, you know, are a Johnny-come-lately sort of in the last, like, two decades. But uh, they've, they've been a tease on getting there so, you know, so many times in the tournament not getting to the finals. So, uh, you'll you'll have a great Cinderella story if anybody but North Carolina wins it. Well, I'm going to tell you, make that uh, smooth transition over to baseball. And you look, you talk about the surprises. I look at the Southeastern Conference baseball, Lynn, and it's not, you know, I have to check my eyes, check my vision. Kentucky, I know they, they unveiled plans to uh, build a new baseball facility. But wow, the Kentucky Wildcats, 6-1 and one in the Eastern Division of the SEC, 20-7 and seven overall certainly a surprise now Missouri also a surprise as well 21 and 5 but uh 4 and 3 in the league they've dropped just a little bit but still the surprise Kentucky Missouri uh in the SEC East yeah no question yeah things are a little bit topsy-turvy uh in the in the conference right now uh Kentucky has a first-year coach and here they come up and they're sitting at 6 and 1 sitting alone at the top of the Eastern Division uh while Vanderbilt uh a uh, I think two-time national champion Florida's been a national champion uh, Florida was number one in the country uh, three weeks ago. Uh, Vanderbilt and Florida are both sitting there at three and four uh, at this point, having even won half their conference games. Uh, Vanderbilt's lost uh, ten, Florida's lost nine. So uh, it's kind of topsy-turvy there. Uh, maybe worse of a topsy-turvy on the other side. Uh, Fourteen teams in the conference, 12 of them get to go to the SEC tournament. The two with the worst records don't get to go. Last year that was Arkansas and Auburn. Right now sitting alone as the leaders of the West are Arkansas and Auburn. Uh, Arkansas is 6-1 in the league. They've won 21 games. Auburn 6-1 in the league. They've won 22 games. Auburn's won more games than anybody else in the conference. Uh, so uh, you've, got, you've got that situation. And then uh, now on the flip side, uh, I think a team that, that maybe is underachieved is, uh, is Texas A&M. Uh, they, were, you know, they were thought of pretty highly at the start of the year and still could. Um, they're, but they've only, they're only like 2-6 and six in the league. Uh, LSU – is uh, is five and three. So in the in the loss column, they're two games down on uh, on Arkansas and Auburn. But LSU's overall record, as you and I talked earlier in the week, has been hurt by the number of games they've lost in the middle of the week to other teams from the state of Louisiana. So uh, there's you know that's a topic for another show. But uh, uh, and and I'm sitting here looking at the polls. Uh, the one that we normally go by is collegiate baseball, um, and uh, Auburn's got. Uh, I'm looking at Auburn. Auburn and uh, South Carolina have got top ten rankings in that. Florida's right out of it at eleven. LSU's at 13. You've got eight SEC teams in the top 22. Uh, so more than half the conference in the top 22 uh, programs in that poll. And I'm looking at, the, at all, all of the polls here. There are uh, five different polls, and there are three teams that have got, uh, have got teams in uh, various softball and baseball top tens, Florida, LSU, and Auburn, all three have got, at least in one of the polls, their baseball team in the top ten, and in at least one of the three softball polls, one of the, uh, uh, one of the teams in the top ten. So, um, once again, a really strong year with more teams maybe than usual at this stage being looked at pretty, uh, pretty highly as far as national rankings go. But in, in baseball, like, like softball, Nick, um, it's, hard to, it's hard to really judge because they have to play each other. And it's, it's almost, in, in baseball it is to a degree, in softball even worse, 
uh, almost every weekend series is like a uh, NCAA Super Regional because the teams are all so good. And when you got when you got eight of your uh, uh, baseball teams ranked in the top twenty-two, and I'm looking at the USA Today poll in softball, ten of the of the thirteen teams that play are in the top twenty-four. Then uh, almost every weekend you're going to play a team that's a nationally ranked team that would be a you know potential contender. Example: Ole Miss is twenty-four in the poll this week. Uh, they won 23 ball games. They're one in six in the league, Nick. They're a top 25 team. They're good, and they're one in six in the conference. But and and you just can't judge by the overall rankings. The, the I mean the overall records because you're playing against southeastern conference teams, and uh, and and that's going to make teams have a a worse record than their team is really because uh, uh, these these teams are pretty good ball teams are going to lose giving you ball games when you're playing up against uh, SEC competition. Well, I tell you, I talked to you uh, earlier in the week, talking with Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine in beautiful Birmingham, Alabama. And Lynn, I asked you about Mississippi Strait and their woes. They got a new coach. John Cohen moved into the athletic director's uh, position. And then you look at Mississippi State. Well, what do they do? They, you talk about the Ole Miss Rebels. That is one of the reasons. Now, there's a rivalry. Normally, think a little bit later on in the year in the Magnolia State. But they've taken the last two, and they're looking for a sweep uh, of the Ole Miss Rebels today. And exactly what yeah, you're see, talking about. See, in Mississippi State, if they do that, they go six and three. Well, Arkansas and Auburn have still got two more games to play. Now, Auburn did beat South Carolina last night, and um, and South Carolina was like number six in the country in one of these things. Auburn already swept Florida when Florida's number one in the country. Auburn beat them three out of three. Uh, now they've beaten uh, uh, the highest ranked team in the conference again, beat South Carolina last night. But uh, Arkansas is playing Alabama. Arkansas got a better record than Alabama right now. Uh, so who knows what will happen there. But if Auburn and Arkansas both lose and uh, Mississippi State were to, were to win, I mean, if Auburn and Arkansas lose their next two ball games uh, to close out the series, uh, losing two ball games in the series, um, and uh, Mississippi State beats uh, Ole Miss, they'll be sitting at 6-3. and three. Mississippi State could go from have been sixth in the conference two weeks ago. They could be tied to the lead if they, if they could beat Ole Miss today. And Arkansas and Auburn were to, to lose their next two games, so uh, fine line between being near the bottom and being at the top when you're when you're playing games like this. And twelve out of the fourteen teams will make their way to Hoover for the SEC tournament right now. Uh, Alabama at one and six, Georgia at one and six, and Tennessee at one and six are looking, uh, you know, try to wrap up those last two spots. I know it's early, but we talk about it all the time, and certainly we'll watch that race uh, to Hoover. But if you look at the SEC overall strong conference, only two teams with a losing record, that being Alabama at 12 and 14, and Georgia at 11 and 16. And we're going to flip that over right to softball, where just about everybody is winning. Yeah, the, the only team uh, in the league that hadn't won 20 games is Missouri. Well, what Missouri did last night, they shut out Alabama, uh, who has won 31 games, the most games in the league. So Alabama, according to the poll that we go by here, was number nine in the country, uh, and Missouri was not in the top 25 rankings. And so what do they do? Missouri shuts Alabama out. So there, there's no easy out, uh, as far as the team goes, in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, there's, there's really not one in baseball. There's certainly not one in softball. You can't you can't let your guard down a single game, or a team that's near the bottom will be the team that's near the top. Yeah, you makes you wonder if uh, Vanderbilt would decide to pick up softball since that everyone else is so successful. They should, they should. Of course, I don't. Vanderbilt's a little different situation, and you know, as as we know, the other with other schools. But uh, I'd love to see Vanderbilt pick it up, and uh, and at, at that point, they'd probably divide softball up into divisions, like they do in baseball. But as long as they've got it like it is. With 13 teams, you'd have unequal divisions. So I suspect that it would stay 
that it would stay like uh, that it would stay like this. Don't want to get off the air without at least mentioning football. Uh, you know, we've got uh, and, and that lets you know how many great things are happening in the Southeastern Conference that we can have spring training going on, and so the start of your spring games will be beginning today and going the next three weeks. And uh, we haven't even mentioned football, but uh, a lot of football players on the field, uh, and it's uh, it's not that long until the uh, the first uh, the first games are played. That'll get by faster than we think. And I I, I can't let it go by without mentioning. One month from today, four weeks from today, we send Lindy Southeastern College Football Magazine to the printer. So it is right on us again. Doesn't seem like that long that we were producing a special edition for Clemson, and uh, and here we are, uh, four weeks away from sending the uh, Southeastern College edition to the printer. And no need to ask. No, we haven't done our rankings yet. I don't know who the rankings are going to be. Who's going to be picked to win the SEC in the national championship? So I'm not sandbagging on you. We don't know. Uh, we're just starting to pull all that together. Our editorial staff will uh, probably about three weeks, and we'll start pulling together some predictions. Well, that certainly sounds great. But before I let you go, I must tell you that uh, earlier in the week, you and I had a discussion about where the SEC softball tournament would be held. We mentioned Chattanooga, and then you corrected yourself, and you said Knoxville. Well, you are correct. And May 10th through the 13th in Knoxville, Tennessee, is where so the SEC Knoxville. softball okay, yeah, tournament will be held. I, I, I was thinking that it was in uh, eastern Tennessee, and – and then when I said Chattanooga, I thought, nah, there's uh, a team's hosting this thing. So it is it is uh, Tennessee hosting it. And it's definitely going to be at the University of Tennessee. And I always fail to mention anything about the uh, website, which is very good. I go off and read a lot of the great articles and stories that you write, as well as Matt Lowe, who has uh, been on our station before. But tell everyone about the website. Yeah, com. Invite everyone to come. And uh, we have about 100 stories a day get posted up. We work with the Sports Exchange on that. Uh, and it will be a very short period of time till we really start loading up with uh, with football information, with rosters and schedules and and the things that you want to know in making your football plans. Uh, so hope that uh, hope that you come visit the website and hope you'll be looking on the newsstands for uh, for our Southeastern football publication. We people think that we uh, design it around the contract time with newsstands or with printers, but what we actually do is we cor- uh, make it to correspond with Nick Brown's family going to the beach, and so. Uh, the last week of May, these magazines will be available on newsstands so that Nick can pull by, pick up one as he gets ready to head to the interstate and go to the Sands. I, I certainly appreciate that, and that Jeep will make it making its way to Santa Rosa Island. And, and one final thought I'm just going to tell you, next year when I tell you how bad the Southeastern Conference is in basketball and you're telling me how good they're doing, just remind me how many teams advanced in postseason play in the I will, SEC. I will absolutely do that. I'll, I'll make a uh, – I'll make a prediction right now. I think you're going to have more teams uh, that people will be thinking should go next year than we did this year. I'm high on what's happening with the SEC. I was high on what was happening with the SEC before uh, what happened in the postseason. I think a lot of teams with first, second, and third-year coaches are bringing uh, bringing in really good recruiting classes. And uh, I think we're going to have – Let's enjoy what's happening for the ACC this year, but I think we'll be having some pretty good basketball next year and, and, and the next few years in a row as well. Well, we appreciate it, Lynn, and you enjoy the rest of the weekend. All right, man. Talk to you soon.